is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the next match the United States men's national team plays will be in the World Cup in Qatar after their nil-nil draw on Tuesday against Saudi Arabia. Nick Guzman here alongside James Burley and Keenan Troy for another edition of FUVFC. Last week, we talked about the disappointing draw to Japan, or loss to Japan, rather, 2-0. The U.S. followed up with another disappointing performance against Saudi Arabia. And guys, that's it. We're heading to Qatar now. Keenan, how are you doing today? I'm good. I think uh, following that game against Saudi Arabia, Aaron Long is bad at the sports. <laughs> I'm glad right you- into it. <laughs> I'm glad James is here with us because... Last week, I think, after that game against Japan, as we sat on the podcast and talked, you know, Nick, we were kind of wondering what the turnaround at Saudi Arabia would be. And I, I said that Aaron Long comment as much as a joke because I know, you know, Burley's got probably enough evidence to defeat the, everyone on Twitter about why Aaron Long is good at soccer. But I was really concerned because we've talked about it time and time again with, you know, Triple G, Greg Berhalter, and it seems that every after every bad result, he follows it up with a good result. And, you know, we can, we've seen that through qualifying. We saw that through, you know, him saving himself with maybe the CONCACAF Nations League. Stuff like that, that, you know, Greg Berhalter would have a poor performance as a manager, which we saw against Japan, and then follow it up with a good performance. But I, I really didn't see that against Saudi Arabia. And so now that we're heading into the World Cup, it's a big question mark is what can we expect from this team? Because... Golden generation playing like playing like 2018 US men's soccer. Yeah, not not a good response after the Japan game from Saudi uh in the Saudi Arabia game from the US. Uh at least there were some ideas in the first half, you know? Like we saw McKenney bombing forward through the midfield and there 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 were some chances there, but I don't know. It didn't did not look great and I'm going to I'm going to uh Declined to comment on the Aaron Long joke you made, Keenan, uh, until later in the episode when we get a little more animated. Yeah, I just, the fact that there's no more matches until Qatar and that was it, it's a little bit concerning um, because everybody talks about style of play and how we want to play and improving his time. Well, there's no more room to, there's no more time to improve. Like, this is it. We're here. Um, Qatar is in two months. No more games until it. And... I think the product that we saw against Japan and then against Saudi Arabia is not good enough. When we play somebody like England, team like Wales, even Iran, you know, if we go out and play the way we played, we're it's a group stage exit. And 
don't think any of us want that. So somehow, magically, in in the week-long training camp before the World Cup, we're going to have to figure something out tactically or just the way we want this team to play because as of right now with those two friendly results, it's just not not good enough. Yeah, and I think it's really frustrating from the U.S. side because after the embarrassment of 2018 and, you know, I would say qualifying, I don't want to say comfortably, but really had a control of their own destiny throughout all of CONCACAF qualification, you saw this matchup against Japan and Saudi Arabia, and, you know, I chose to be an optimist going into this. I thought these are two games in which you expect maybe a tie and a win or maybe two draws. Definitely not a loss and definitely not a nil-nil draw. To not score in two of your tune-up games is alarming because although we know that you know the number nine is the big mystery for this team, the quality they have on the in the wings, you know, allegedly through the midfield. <laughs> the quality they have through the wings. In the midfield. <laughs> we do things so good here at FBS. Sparks flying in Studio 3 right now. Michael Hernandez, uh, Michael Hernandez just showed up late for our listeners who's wondering why we're chuckling. Michael, we're already going. This is, this is, we're, we're, we're already, we're potting. Up. Just catch up. We're potting. We got it. We we're potting. So. No man left behind. Michael's delirium is kind of maybe similar to ours as we wonder why these wide players that have been heavily touted, obviously no Pulisic game one, no way a period, but no Musa, no, no Musa in the midfield, but Aronson, you know, he had that one chance against Japan when it was one, one, and he drags it wide besides him. I, Reina goes down with a, you know, hamstring tightness in the 36 minute, which is a red flag because we know his injury problems in the past. It appears he'll be okay, but you don't know what you're gonna can expect from him, you know, in the months leading up to because of his problems with injury. So I just think you know after a lackluster Japan performance, you wanted to see the U.S. turn it around, and it was much of the same, especially in that second half. That second half they looked awful. Everything they had working for them in that first half against Saudi Arabia, you know, a couple key blocks in the box. Matt Turner is the goalkeeper. We talked about it on last week's pod, Nick. That's probably the one saving grace from this horrendous tune-up was that Matt Turner kept you in games and that's what you need your goalkeeper to do but it very well could have been 2-0 Saudi Arabia easily yeah and, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about how there were so few positives to take away from the window like Greg came out in a, pr- in a press conference and he said that we learned a lot we got a lot of clarity I don't think we learned anything really he said we learned things yeah things like the I I I hate the the like excessive scrutiny of every word someone says to the press but that 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 was alarming to even me because it it kind it goes to show that this window was a complete failure on all fronts um the stock did not go up for any player except for maybe Matt Turner and even so if if Zach Steffen's healthy I'm 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 confident that Bearhalter is going to start Steffen I I don't I I'm not like I obviously I don't know what exactly he's thinking but I just I feel like he's always preferred Stefan and would go back that way, even though Turner is you know shot stopping probably better than Stefan at this point, and Stefan injuries, bad form, etc. Ne- neither of them are getting a lot of playing time. Only Ethan Horvath is getting playing time in Europe, and uh, Josh Cohen for Maccabi Haifa. But let's be real, he's not in the picture. Overall, this the the way that we played just did not. 
excite me for the World Cup, which is what I'm most sad about in that I think that after missing 2018, I, I'd be so, so excited for the World Cup. And right now, I'm like just dreading it in the sense that the U.S. are going to get destroyed in the group stage. We have a tougher group than people realize. Like all of these teams could feasibly beat us and it wouldn't be wouldn't be crazy. So this is, is, uh, this is bad vibes to start out the pod, but I, this is just the way I feel. It's a mixture of, I think, we're all in school right now. School's heating up. The World Cup's going to be in November. Usually it's like this end of, you know, end of school year thing. You've just gotten through a hard, a hard year of work, and then you get the summer and you get it's the World marketing. Cup. So that part's a little tough. Also, the fact the team is playing awful right now means the hype is lower. But about the, the Zach Steph and Matt Turner sort of debate, I think... Most fans, I think, would prefer Matt Turner in net. But if you, if you, like James said, if you sort of piece together everything Greg Berhalter said, like when when asked about Matt Turner's Turner's performance, he said like he was fine, like things like that. Where even though he made all these saves, maybe he wasn't the best with his feet. I still think Greg prefer, prefers Zach Steffen. If Zach Steffen's healthy, Zach Steffen's going to start in Qatar, which is a little bit mind-boggling to me. Um, Mainly because I think Stefan's distribution is kind of overrated. He seems like when he when he has the ball at his feet, it's very casual. It's like he thinks he's better than he is with his feet. So when you take all those things into account, I think most fans would prefer Matt Turner, but it seems like Greg would probably go with Stefan if Zach Stefan's healthy. But just this whole idea of having two games is your last two games before the World Cup. Your mindset has to be what finding out what we need to improve on, what we're doing well, and just locking those last few things into place. And it just seems like absolutely nothing went right over these two games. If Greg can find a way to, to, to find any sort of positives from this, that's some crazy mental gymnastics because, I mean, I don't know what the guys are doing in training, but the product that was placed on the field was ugly over these two games against impo- opponents that are probably worse than all three of the opponents that the U.S. are going to face in Qatar. So 100%, if you can't if you can't get results against these two teams, I understand it's a friendly and and all of that. But I mean, you think about 2014, the World Cup send off series, those three matches against I'm blanking Nigeria, Turkey and and Bosnia got them perfect. Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan in San Francisco. Remember who scored? Aaron Johansson and mixed disc. Yes. There Come on, go. Nick. There we go. Aaron Johansson and mixed <laughs> yes. disc. And then there was that Turkey game with Fabian Johnson. Uh, that uh, that unbelievable ball from Michael, Michael Bradley. Bradley. Get to the point. We're reminiscing no, about no, the beautiful Now we're going to talk about the Clinton I do days. have a point. The point is... <laughs> Back when the, we had a head coach. The point is that those three games were our send-off you know, in the weeks before the World Cup, and the team was playing well, the vibes were good, everybody was like, what are we going to do in Brazil? We just won three games, we're looking good in terms of play. That was, These two games, those, that was that. That's the equivalent of those games in 2014. And we just laid an egg in those two games. So those are the vibes going into the World Cup for everybody, for the team as they return to their clubs. And I think if any sort of positive performances in these two games, just it would have everybody feeling a lot better. But it's just the fact that this is it. And there's a one week before the World Cup to do something. And as of right now, from what we've seen, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not looking good at the moment. Do you remember who scored in the Nigeria and Turkey games? Uh, two goals from Josie Althor in the Nigeria games. My man. My uh, man. In the Turkey, uh, it was a like a giveaway at the back, and Dempsey tapped it in. Yeah. And then and, it was Fab Joe. And I'm pretty sure Timmy Chandler had the giveaway that led to the Turkey goal. But Keenan, go. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, 
I think you guys bringing back 2014 kind of took me to that mental space and kind of made me remember when, you know, you know, parks were packed with the big screens and, you know, like beer going everywhere. And it kind of makes me realize, like, especially with these two performances, it's one thing for there not to be any positive takeaways for the casual United States men's national team fan who sees a 2-0 loss to Japan and a 0-0 draw to Saudi Arabia and says, wow, we suck. And, you know, that's their interaction with the men's national team. They're like, all right, well, the World Cup's in a month. I'll cheer for them then. But what was really disheartening is for us, you know, guys who actively care about the national team, who followed them from 2014 to 2022, an eight-year window with no World Cup, couple Gold Cups, garbage CONCACAF Nations League. For us to look at the product that was put in front of us this past week and arrived at the same conclusion as the casuals of that we're not playing good soccer, there are very few positives, it's really concerning going into Qatar because it's just so frustrating for me to watch that and see like this has been eight years of getting this group ready. Because even after 2014, you know, 2018, Pulisic was already in the door. A lot of guys that are now in this club, you know, in this squad were knocking on the door. And it seems to be all gearing towards this reemergence to the World Cup stage, and it's just still lackluster performances. So I don't know what Greg Berhalter is going to do. I'm really concerned, though, because with no real positives coming out of this, it's how does he approach his World Cup squad selection, which I think we should get into because there's some glaring issues still, you know, namely the number nine. We saw Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe both tried out. Both looked pretty pathetic, all things considered. Josh Sargent, a lot of people were calling for his head. We talked about it last week. It's tough to call for his head when you're not getting service in and around the area where Josh Sargent is lethal. And, you know, we've never seen consistency in terms of Greg Berhalter recognizing strong performers and prioritizing them in his squad or in his depth. So it's just so disheartening that even with Turner he's he's not sold so I mean you know you guys know how much I dislike Greg Berhalter but the fact of the matter is we're stuck with him and I just don't know what this squad selection is going to look like because here's a guy who seemingly is devoid of logic when it comes to picking guys that are appropriate to give your squad a best chance of winning it's not only that it's but it's getting the best out of your best players because I think of what we watched this we obviously the scapegoats for for the performances are always going to be the scapegoats um and no one besides Turner played well, but even our best players ghosted. And that is that is concerning to me because if we're playing in a way that puts our best players in positions to not succeed, the team will not succeed. At least Bruce Arena found a way to make Christian Pulisic absolutely terrifying for teams in CONCACAF. And he only scored five goals in World Cup qualifying, three of which were against Panama, two of which were penalties if I'm remembering correctly. So, like, the way is, and I'm not saying it's Christian Pulisic's fault right now. It's not. I'm, I'm putting this criticism on Greg Berhalter for not being able to get the best out of the guys like Pulisic and McKenney for being really, really bad against Japan and Adams for struggling in, in with pressure on the ball uh, against Japan. It's all these things culminating, all the little things build up and they result in these flat, uninspired performances. I don't want to levy the, the criticism on the players like they can't deal with the pressure or it's too much for them, they're young and experienced. I don't buy that. I, I'm, I think that's certainly part of it, but I, I, I'm more ready to say that this team is not prepared for the occasion 
And for that reason, they go into the matches and they play the occasion, not the game. They play those two friendlies before the World Cup thinking, my spot's on the line. And, and all hell breaks loose. They don't play well. It looks sloppy. Uh, the fans are now losing interest as each minute goes by. I just admitted to that a few minutes ago. And I thought I'd never say that about a World Cup that the U.S. was going in for. Um, especially since the last World Cup group we faced was one of the hardest we've ever had, but we got out of it. This World Cup group, while still very, very difficult, is so much more manageable. Our talent has increased, but has it increased that much? I'm not convinced. Has our coach looked like he's gotten the best out of the players he's selected, and is he even selecting the best players in their right positions? Not really. So it's it's... it's I don't want to be negative because I'm so critical of all the negativity surrounding the USMNT, but right now there's just really not much to be positive about. I think the player selection is a of like the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th guy is a smaller issue than people like Christian Pulisic not playing well or people like Tyler Adams not looking good in the system because those guys are the ones who are going to be starting every single game. You know, if Jordan Morris comes off the bench in the no. in the eighty seventh minute when we're already down two 0 like what he, he was never going to change the game anyway. The, he the, did it against El Salvador. Against El Salvador. Just saying. But what I'm saying is that it's more worrying that our our so called best players who are the locked in starters, your Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Christian Pulisic, those kinds of guys did not look good and do not look good a lot of the time when they put on a U.S. shirt. That's more concerning than than whether or not Jordan Morris or Paul Ariola are going to get some minutes off the bench in guitar. If if the, the the players who are supposed to show up and carry us through the World Cup are playing in a system that's not really, you know, suited to their style of play and and that's an issue, then our chances in Qatar are already nil because just the fact that Greg sets his up his team up in a way that doesn't suit our best players is is worrying. It's always for me. I've always felt Greg is a is a system first guy. Where who the whoever the players are, no matter what their skill sets are, you have to come in and sort of mold yourself into his system. And everyone's critical. I think that's okay. It's because and I'm gonna I'll be quick on this because I know you're still going. Um, people were like so so critical of saying like Berhalter is not a national team manager. He has a system. Like no, you have to have a system or else there's no product on the field. And people are saying, let's go back to Klinsman, which is absurd because Klinsman promised the same thing and just never delivered on it. And then we lost to Guatemala and Jamaica and all these teams in important games. So that criticism of Berhalter is not very fair. I know you're not going there. I just wanted to get that out because I've, I've been meaning to say that for a long time. You have to have a system. doesn't mean the system's good. Yep. And it doesn't mean that, that he's putting our players in the best position to succeed. Sure, there is a system, but... I think it's clear when you watch these two games, and even just when you've watched over the last year or two, sure, there'll be you know solid performances and qualifiers at home against you know the Panamas of the world, Honduras, things like that. But it seems like as soon as the going gets tough, we're away from home, we're not necessarily comfortable, and we try to play in the way that we want to, things just kind of go out the window. And you worry that when you face you know Wales or England, we can see a goal maybe early, and we're not in Cincinnati, Ohio, or Kansas City, how do we rebound and how do we bounce back? Because it seems like that's an issue right now. There's just so many issues. There's issues in the tactics. There's issues in players seeming 
unmotivated, which falls on Greg. It's not, you know, how can you not be motivated for a friendly just before the World Cup and you're trying to cement your, your, your spot in the squad? There's just so many issues right now as we approach the World Cup, and I think it would really take a genius to, to figure them all out before then. And I think if we are to be successful in guitar, it's going to come down to some uh, an individual playing out of his mind, whether it's Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna, somebody just stepping up and sort Hames-esque. of taking... Hamez-esque. that's what I was thinking. Someone's going to have to do that. I mean, even when you say Hamez-esque, that Colombia team was playing some very, very good soccer in 2014. Also, to, to expect any American to do what Hamez did in 2014 would be ridiculous. Yeah, but the, the point is that some... It's either going to be individual brilliance, some goals off set pieces, or something like that. Because if we're trying to play the way we played in these two games, the way we've played over the last two years, it's just it's just not going to go well. Yeah, and I think you know we've been talking about there has to be a way you play. I think a fundamental problem with U.S. soccer is that there's never been a U.S. style like the Dutch, the Germans, the English. Maybe the English with more flexibility as of late, but like the Italian style of soccer has been the Italian style of soccer since the Burleys came over on whatever ship they came over. The, on. the Italian style of not qualifying for the World Cup. Oh, see ya. Um, but the U- <laughs> the U.S. doesn't have a, an identity when it comes to soccer, and that's fine, I guess. But it needs to be established sooner rather than later because as soon as Greg Berhalter's out, assuming he's out. I, I think it's going to come at some point, barring, you know, I'd say if they make it past the round of 16 in the World Cup, he'll keep his job. I, I think he keeps his job after the group stage. He, he keeps his out. job to get out of the group stage. 100%. Really? 100%. Say, now, get, get out of the group stage, lose to the Dutch. That's like especially, especially since the expectation has fallen so much lower now. Uh, that's the key. You just play so bad that yeah, all you have to do. So <laughs> all you need is one one penalty in the 90th minute against Wales and a couple draws maybe against England and Iran, and you get out of your group. Lifetime contract. Yep. Uh, and if you listen to the way the discourse about this World Cup, not from recently, but from the past couple years when qualifying before qualifying started, it was, it was we're all build, about twenty twenty six, building towards twenty twenty. And then we're gonna go and get pants at home. And well, actually, I don't know because we will be playing in Ohio. Yes, that is that is a huge huge factor. That that is that is all for me. That is ninety percent of what the federation's considering, and that's why they hired a guy like Bearhalter, who is an emphasis on culture and building a system that no other U.S. manager has ever done. At, as to your point, so. Even if it means failure in 2022, I think he's going to be around for 2026, unless it's a, like a dramatic failure, of course, because it seems like all of this is culminating towards playing at home in 2026, which for me isn't a big problem if it didn't mean sacrificing Qatar, because I, I think we're going to go and we're going to lay an egg and it's going to be okay because the focus is on four years from now. But how can anybody say that if we go to Qatar and lay an egg that that's like building towards the future? Building towards the future is like getting to the round of 16 or the quarterfinals and playing like good soccer. See, I don't think we're going to lay an egg by design, but I think in order to improve the way that we play and and implement this 4-3-3 holding midfielder 2-8 style, uh, fly the fullbacks high up, have the center back spray the ball type of game that Bearhalter wants to play with the wingers a bit inverted – it is all in an effort to have that style refined for 26, even if it means laying an egg in 2022. I, I certainly hope I'm wrong about what that means for this coming World Cup, but because I obviously don't agree with that approach. But 
man it, i i i'm i'm full of bad ideas today i don't know i just i just am not super confident at the moment if greg berhalter is still in charge of 2026 It'd be bad. Man. It'd be bad. I don't know what I'll do. Th- who who do you who do you have lined up for his replacement? And I know like we're not in charge of this. So when people say like Bearhalter out and then people respond saying, Well, who else is gonna play is gonna be the manager? Like I hate being that guy, but seriously, because now did you just say Ollie at the wheel, Michael? I'm good. Uh, <laughs> Jesse has two very good years for Leeds. Then he moves up. <laughs> he moves but up to you the national he, he, team? No, he moves up to a bigger club than Leeds. Okay. And then he fails. He's fired. He's out of a job. Oh, what am I gonna do? I can't. I United can't wait to that team. beautiful, beautiful man. Though I can't do it. <laughs> it is a major, major step down. He'd have to like love his country so much. To Michael, do that. stop throwing names in my ear. I'm getting nervous, man. He just said Zidane now. Like it's not happening. Well, I think the one thing I'll give you money if that happens, Michael. It, the one thing I'm, you know, my question though is, you know, obviously we all. Well, I dislike Greg Berhalter as a coach, but Michael, Michael. James, you touched on it too, and Nick, you as well. How much of this falls on the players, guys? Because you're talking about bona fide superstars in terms of American soccer. You know, everybody says golden generation, but I don't, you know, that's from a Alexi Lala standpoint of, or Taylor Twelman of giving, you know, you've been given everything, which is true. They've been very pampered, but also. Love that quote, by the way. Yeah. Love that. But also, in the same regard, these are the most successful U.S. soccer play- soccer generation we've ever seen. You've got guys playing on, you know, I think for the first time in your career, you can, in our lifetime, we can... Every s- Champions League group represented by an American. Right, and, you know, legitimate Champions League qualifiers, uh, contenders, excuse me, with Americans, guys that play week in and week out in the biggest six leagues in the world, you know, from America... It's just really, you know, I'm wondering is like, I know Burlhalter has to be for some of the blame. It'd be idiotic to forego that and just say it's all on the players. But at what point, you know, I think one of the weaknesses of this team is there is no veteran presence. You know what I mean? Like, even like countries that have been able to sustain, you know, generational teams of like high quality. It's like Sergio Ramos has been with Spain since they won back-to-back Euros. If you want to go that far, Thomas Mueller has won a World Cup in 2014 with the German national team, and he's still there. Will he see the field? Maybe a little bit, but he probably gives more to that club in terms of locker room presence, in terms of you know organizing the team and saying this is how the German national team conducts itself. Versus, I think one of the you know limitations put on the United States men's national team is that everyone on that team, it's I mean it's going to be the youngest team at the World Cup. Everyone on that team is you know that's probably going to see playing time is under the age of 30, many of which have, none of which have played at a World Cup before. So I think it's, you know, it's this weird imbalance between, yeah, we want to yell at Burhalter for not coordinating culture, but also the players themselves have to find it amongst themselves. And that's why a guy like John Brooks would be perfect because he's been with that national team. I mean, now it's, the point is moot because he's been out of the national team for so long, but that's one of the reasons why his absence is so frustrating to me is because he of the guys you would actually consider to play center back from that old group. You know, he's the only one. He's the only one who's still in. Yeah. Maybe even playing soccer. I don't know where Omar Gonzalez Jeff is. Jeff Cameron's there. alive. Somewhere. Omar Gonzalez <laughs> is he's with New England and he's scoring <laughs> own goals. <laughs> he's terrible. Yeah, he's not good. So that's I mean that's a separate tangential thing on why John Brooks's omission is baffling. But just for me, it's a question of. 
can we expect this young group of players to take it upon themselves and find an identity if Greg's not going to you know, impose one on them? I, I think you make a good point about the veteran presence. Um, the oldest guys on this team right now are guys like Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, DeAndre Edlin. DeAndre Edlin, the only one in the squad who's played yeah, at a World, World Cup, Cup before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even he, his form, like we saw him play for Inter-Miami against the Red Bulls. He was terrible. Yeah, not great. Like, even so, like we, like we, I watched and I immediately tweeted out, like, dude, like Joe Scali is miles better than this guy. The problem is... Of that last group, we have a generation missing. It's why we missed the 2018 World Cup. It's why we've missed the 2008, no, sorry, 2012, 16, and 20 Olympics is because that group of players just was not up to snuff. That production, we missed the huge gap in developing players. That's why in 2018, we were still falling on guys like Dempsey, Bradley, Altador, Howard to carry us through qualifying, and they couldn't do it because, let's face it, at that point, they weren't that good anymore. And the rest of CONCACAF kind of caught up. Where where we're at right now, it, it like a guy like Tim Ream and a guy like John Brooks would bring so much to the dressing room. I think even a guy like Aaron Long, who I've who is obviously we all know I'm a big Aaron Long stan, right? <laughs> like I'm actually not that big of his fan. I just try to defend him because I feel like a lot of the discourse surrounding him is unfair. But I've been critical of his ability to lead the Red Bulls this season because. On the field, they look disinterested a lot, and he's in a contract year, probably, you know, had a lot going on in his mind, trying to make the national team squad. So I think, like, yeah, a guy like John Brooks would make a lot of sense to me. I don't I don't think he should necessarily be a starter for this team because he hasn't played for, his, for a club since last season. He's had, like, one minute for Benfica since joining. Was kind of added because there were so many injuries to center back. Tim Ream proven that he can't really do it for the national team in the way Greg wants to set up, although a lot of that has been at left back. It's been unfair to Tim Ream specifically. He did a job for Fulham at left back when he had to you know, do a caretaker role when uh, Jedi Robinson got injured. Unfortunately, that's another spot of weakness for the U.S. that we'll probably talk about in a minute. I, I'd i be happy to have these guys on as like the fourth or fifth guys at their position only for the presence they bring in the locker room, but I, I think John Brooks, like we saw him against Canada and... Um, who else in qualifying? It was just like it gave away goals. Like it, it was, it was not good enough. Uh, I love, I love John Brooks. I have John Brooks is in my Twitter banner. Like I, I'm a huge John Brooks guy, but it's just not. I can't I can't get around to the to uh, bringing him in this late as well because he's been out of the national team for a while. And I know, and I know you alluded to that too. So the culture of this team, even though Greg is a culture guy, you're right, Keenan. It's not where it should be. But I also think it's too late. To, yeah. to change totally. culture. Oh, yeah. It's not something that changes in two months by bringing in, you know, Tim Reeves not going to magically glue everything together. No, he's not. He might help. He might be just a sort of dad like presence in the locker room. I mean, he, how, how old is Tim Reeves now? 34? 34. 34. And he's been, he's been around the block. He's played in the Premier League, gotten relegated, then again, the and Premier Major League. League Soccer. And Major League Soccer for the New York Red Bulls. Um, something like that could help, but I mean, this problem is something that they've had Greg's entire tenure to figure out and address. You know, at the beginning of Greg's tenure, it was guys like Bradley and Althador still played the Gold Cup in, in uh, 2019. They started the final. And then uh, COVID hit, and then after COVID, it seems like Greg was just like, okay, we're going youth, 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 which I think everybody else, every, all of us are big fans of. He left everybody else behind, and we're just going young, young, young. There's definitely a way to, to, to have leadership and have 
sort of quality like qualities like that in the locker room with a young group. A guy like Tyler Adams is definitely a leader. Players like that, Walker Zimmerman. But it really only goes so far when none of them have actually stepped out on the field at a World Cup before. You can think about what that's like. You can try and simulate it, whether you've played in the Champions League or whatever, but I don't think anything really quite matches that. And I think that's just something that the U.S. at this point has to embrace the fact that they're just a young group and this is this is new territory. Not And I think that's it's a good thing in some ways. We're trying to build something new here. We're trying to, you know, expel the demons from four years ago. And I think trial by fire is a little bit how you do that. You, you, you get the taste and you just figure it out as it goes on. Sure, you would like to have some veteran presences in there. And I think the only one that really at this point makes sense and that will happen is DeAndre Yedlin with World Cup experience and Tim Ream, who hasn't gone to a World Cup, but has still been, you know, around for that long. Maybe Tim Ream could be the 24th, 25th, 26th guy with the three extra roster spots. But I think trial by fire is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a bad thing when you watch the way the team's been playing and the things that have been said recently. And is it going to be trial by fire or trial by like massive forest fire where they just burn alive right away? Yeah, and I think. Well, two things. One is trial by fire could benefit the United States in some ways just because, you know, we've talked about how, you know, the the emphasis of youth and, you know, I mean, I guess we saw them kind of lethargic in these friendlies, but this is a, you know, a team you'd expect to get up for the big ones in Qatar or at least play with the energy. And so maybe that catches a team like Wales, which is, you know, kind of in that same generational gap that we were talking about the United States where they still got a lot of old heads intertwined with some, you know, younger guys that they hope to take the program forward with. Against England, I mean, that's when you just do the sign of the cross and say a prayer because that thing could get ugly quick. And then Iran, who knows? But the thing about the World Cup, and we've seen it in years past, it really anything can happen, and you give yourself a chance to win and you just might win. I mean, we saw South Korea take down Germany and, you know, Germany not even make a knockout. In 2018, it's going to happen to France again. You th- you don't think it's the, curse. the curse? The curse continues. France is not getting out of their group. No way. Who's in their group? De- who's? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Who cares? It's the whoever offense. I'm pretty sure they have Denmark, Australia, and um, it's like f- it's seventy like seventy five percent of the same group they were in from 2018, and I'm blanking on the fourth team. But Denmark, Australia. Who was their group in 2018? They had Peru in 2018. It was, it was 20. It was Peru, but Peru lost to Australia in the qualifiers. They played Tunisia. Tunisia. Tunisia is the is the fourth team. They played Australia, Denmark, then Tunisia. So I mean, not getting out. That, that's <laughs> actually they should totally get out of that group. It'd be absurd if they didn't. But the the point remains, guys. That it's just like they did the hard part, which is get in. And now anything can happen, which gives me a little optimism. But we talked about it concerning num- the number nine. We had James. You also, you know. When you were on a couple weeks ago, you talked about how much you're looking at Sammy Vines in this upcoming window. Yeah, and he disappointed. <laughs> Joe Scally, I guess, is in that same boat. We're looking at guys that, you know, who could be the impact performers. John Tolkien back up left back. How, how about how about <laughs> Christian Pulisic, Wes McKenney, Tyler Adams, and those guys be the impact performers because they're not right now, unfortunately. It's true. And like I said before, you can talk about as much as you want about the Sam Vines of the world and the Jordan Morrises of the world and the Paul Aaron Longs and the Walkers and yeah, people like that. The but when your key core players aren't performing, that that 
does not help either. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. And I know we're all in agreement on that. Like, yeah. I'm not trying. I'm not trying yeah. to start an argument here. Like, I, I no, know but that's I, how my, we feel. My question is: Is really good teams, you know, can have? I know this isn't an international level, right? But Manchester City could last season could have a game where Jesus, Mares, Foden, non-existent. Bernardo Silva steps up and yep. scores two goals. Ilkay Gundogan scores Gundogan. a goal. So I know that it's like not a like-for-like like comparison at all, but I would assume that there are going to be games at the World Cup, if not most, where that front three looks a little stagnant. And, or, you know, if who do you want to say our best players are? Pulisic, Adams, and McKinney? I think that's probably the big three. I would say that a guy that's really going to have a good World Cup and somebody that I think, you know, probably critically underrated on an international scale, and it really hurt that he wasn't here, was Musa. 100%. I, I think he is, you know, if Pulisic doesn't show up to play, which who knows if he will or he won't, I expect Musa to carry this team. And I'm 100% confident in saying that because I think he provides the best link from the midfield yep. to the forwards. Totally. And, you know, his runs in behind, and we saw it when he kind of emerged into this national team, he creates so much space and time on the ball for everyone everyone around him, whether he's you know on the ball and making dangerous runs and then laying it off, or if he's just checking out and bringing men with him. If yeah. he plays to his ability, I really think this United States team could be okay. Yeah, I and. I'm glad you brought up Musa. I'm surprised Way his name hasn't come up yet for us. Timmy Way is a big one. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Musa because he's the best player we have on the turn who can connect defense from midfield to the forwards. And I personally, for that reason, I hope he starts playing a little bit deeper, closer to Adams, so he can do more of that, as opposed to just being the guy who um, has to, you know, do a lot of the dribbling work that McKenney is is pretty good at. That, that's. I feel like we should. In the midfield, especially, we talk about like playing to the defensive strengths a lot as a fan base, saying that if we're going to play out of the back, we need these guys who play in Europe who really aren't that good at playing in the back and really aren't that good at defending to begin with. Guys like Mark McKenzie and Eric Palmer Brown really are not that much of an improvement. I will continue to harp on that for a while, but I think in the midfield we could be doing a lot better at playing to our strengths. I feel like we've been talking about like squad selection for a while. Should we just all like make a twenty-six roster right now? I think one thing I just want to say real quick is I think this window exposed. Like almost an illusion of depth, where without, yeah, or that that the depth that that we perceive with all these players playing in Europe is really we're not as deep as people think. Because without Anthony Robinson, who's next? Sam Vines, that's a big drop off. Without Yunus Musa, who's next? Mm-hmm. Luca De La Torre, love him, big drop off. We knew that about left back too, and we just waited for it to be a disaster until we address it. Like if if Anthony Robinson is not ready for Qatar, and he or if he goes down in Qatar. There's just there's, there's no there's no alternative. It's gonna have to be a right back playing on the left. There's it may no probably chance. Dest on the left, Dest, something like Dest that. Dest or Scally on the yeah. left is what's gonna be. And that's just and that's if Scally's on the plane. It's if Scally's on the plane, I, I mean, I think it's some like the illusion of death is something that I think I have sort of understood over a l- little bit of a period. And I think you probably have too, James. But mm-hmm. people just assume that we're deeper than we are. And and but they, this is injuries yeah. to Weya, Musa, Robinson, and. There aren't really necessary, besides maybe Way, because if we have Gina Reyna healthy or Aaronson or Pulisic, we can fill that void. That's still an impact player that we want and need. But without Yunus Musa, the drop in quality in the midfield is apparent, and it really affects the entire team. 
Yeah, and and I, I I'd be willing to say on the way of front that he he brings what he brings to the winger position is something that no one else brings, and that he directness is so so direct, but also has the quality. Like obviously, Ariola and Morris are incredibly direct players, but Weya is going to seek out the right run at the right time. He's going to find the ball, beat one defender, and find find our clinical players in the box, like like Pulisic or like. A late arriving fullback, like that's what that's what Weya brings. That not our strikers. Yeah. They are <laughs> I wouldn't. I was avoiding. I was not going to say Ferreira. I was not going to say Ferreira on that. Does Ferreira come? Is he going to be on the plane? He's going to come. And yeah. He's going to start. He's going to be on the plane, and he's probably going to start. I. I. Well, think think about it. Like he started all these big games, and he's he the hopes of the roses. He, he's he's not he's not the answer. I'm not saying he's the answer, but I'm saying in, in, realistically, he's going to be there, and. Even tactically, with the understanding of the way Greg wants his striker to play, Ferreira fits that mold probably second or third best after Sargent and Pepe. But with Pepe in the form that he's in and Sargent, I guess, isn't getting the same amount of looks that Ferreira is getting, you have to assume that Ferreira is going to be the de facto starter. I think if we all put ourselves in the mind of Greg and think what his start- ideal World Cup starting eleven is with everybody healthy. It's probably what not, we saw not against long, Japan or Saudi Arabia. Dis- discounting long-term injuries to be guys like Miles Robinson, but like if the short-term guys like Anthony Robinson and Musa are back, I think we could all... Pretty much they accurately go, predict All right, let's end with that. He, okay. had, he had that tweet that everybody was clamoring yeah. about. There's the five, five starters, starters aren't here, and everyone was like, Stefan's one of them. Yeah, I'll go first. It's Stefan in goal if Stefan's yeah. healthy. Yep, Anthony probably. Robinson left back. Yep. Then either Aaron Long or Chris Richards. I'd go Aaron Long. I think, that's what he, I think he's, he's going to go Aaron Long over Chris Richards. Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, uh, Sergino Destit right back. Adams, McKenney, Moose in the midfield. Pulisic, Ferreira. And then either Way or Aronson. I'd say... I'd say Way right now, just because the five starters. You don't thing. think Rainer's Rainer's gonna start? I don't think Rainer's gonna start. I mean, it's crazy he, to me though. He, I think you might be right. I'm not healthy, saying you're wrong. Healthy Gio Rainer starts every day of the week, but if he runs around for more than 75 minutes, his hamstring's gonna pull up with a. Like, he's gonna pull up with an injury, and I, bl- I, I blame Dortmund for that. I think he's way. a better yeah. weapon to be utilized off the bench, but I think your guys' 11 would be probably the same. Maybe one or two players are different. No, it's the exact same stat. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Richards is going to get the nod over Long. Just yeah, cu- just because I think he should, but yeah, I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what goes on up. There. I think. I think. I think we'd have a better. I think we'd have a m- more fun talking about which guys are and aren't going to be on the plane because I think yeah. the starting eleven is all but confirmed. Maybe Turner starts over Stefan, and maybe Aronson over Weah. Maybe maybe Aronson or Weah or Reyna at right wing. Yeah. But th- at right now, it's Ferreira is going to be the striker. And everything else is pretty much yep. set in stone. All right, so who, we'll end with this, guys. Goalkeepers, how many taken? Three, three taken. Three. So you're going Stefan, Stefan Turner, Horvath, Stefan Turner, Turner Johnson. Not Horvath. Not Horvath. Stefan Turner Johnson. Because I think though, because Horvath was called if in Stephen, early you know, to this camp, makes me feel like he's going to be on the plane. But I don't. You know, I, what, I agree. If that, Stefan's injured, though, it's Sean Johnson is coming. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm fine with that because. Yeah. Johnson's what the only guy in the camp over thirty. Like yeah. he's gonna he's gonna bring he's gonna bring some perspective. But I mean, we're debating over the third goalkeeper. Yeah, right. Really, yeah, I, if, yeah. if the third goalkeeper plays this, yeah, it could be it could be Gaga Slonina just to get him just to get him yeah. incorporated into the group, which I would also be okay with. Yeah, I, I've 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 long held the position that the third goalkeeper should be either an extra coach or a young player you're introducing. It doesn't have to be a, a, a good keeper unless you're the Netherlands and they play three keepers at every tournament they're in. Yeah, yeah. Left back, we're probably going with Jedi Robinson, and then someone who's not good enough to be there. Yeah, and, and it's probably it's probably just going to be an inverted right back. Yeah, yeah. It's a I think of, he might take of... Sam Vines. 
I I think it would just be a waste of a roster spot because I don't think he's going to play. Yeah. Like like yeah. you you seriously think Anthony Robinson pulls up with a with a hamstring injury in the second half against England? No, they're shifting they're right gonna, back. They're going to throw Sam Vines on. No, they're going to throw probably. Yeah, actually, I would actually only expect them to throw Sam Vines on if it were England. If it were because because the idea would be defense first. But if it's against Iran or Wales, definitely Dest it moved Dest to yeah, left back. On the left. Yeah. 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 So we'll just say Robinson, and then we'll just say Joe Scally turned yeah, left sure. back. Yeah. Yeah. Center backs. Richards, Richards, Zimmerman, Long, Long Carter, Vickers, Carter, Carter Vickers, Vickers. I would say too. Yeah, and Ma- then if Ma- there's a fifth maybe spot, Palmer Ma- Brown. Yeah, uh, I don't know about Palmer Brown. Well, I I think I think McKenzie's stock went down. Like yeah, everybody, yeah. he was, played terrible. Mark McKenzie was awful in both games. In Every, both games. Everyone said that he was such an improvement in the second half for, against Japan. Was he? Because he fell asleep on the on the goal. And I don't think he his passing was that much of an improvement. The team did not look any better. I, I think Mackenzie's stock has gone down. He doesn't always he's he's emerging into the lineup now in Belgium. I don't think like he's he doesn't have the pedigree right now. I think he has the tools eventually to be a really, really solid center back, but right now I I don't see it. Yeah. And right back, Dest Dest Yedlin. Dest Yedlin, maybe Cannon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Reggie Cannon's awful. He's not good. He's not good. <laughs> and I and I was a big fan of his a couple years ago and he's not he's yeah. not panned out. And then central midfielders, how many should we pick? Five, six? Six, at six. least six. Okay, so Adams, McKenney, Musa, De La Torre, Acosta, Acosta and Tillman. Malik Tillman. I'd Malik. say Tillman. Yeah. May, say, maybe Gianluca Busio. But I guess we're not really counting how many are uh, how many we have total. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Busio goes. We've got we've got four center backs, five fullbacks if we count Cannon and three keepers, and now six midfielders, so that's five, four, three, that's twelve, six. We got eighteen. So we got we got eight spots for forwards now. So, Reyna, Pulisic, Wea, Wea, Aronson, Ferreira. We know he's coming. Ferreira. I I will say Pfock. I think Pfock's going to be in Qatar. I think yeah. I think Ferreira, Pfock, th- and Sargent are my Ferre- three strikers. I, that's that's the three I'd pick. I don't know if he's going to pick. I, yeah. I would would not be stunned if he picked Pepe over Pfock. I also wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised, and I I don't think that would be the end of the world either. Yeah, I think okay. We were said about it. Uh, but I still think Pfock should totally be there. Yeah. So least, how many is that? That's seven. We have one more winger or striker, or not not counting or Pepe. Fl- or flex if, somewhere. If we're else. saying if we're saying Pfock, Pepe, question mark, one of that counts as one for me. So, so that that's up to twenty twenty five. Twenty five. Christian Roldan goes. <laughs> you think? I genuinely think Christian no, Roldan goes. I think, I think if I think, you were at this I think, camp, you, I, I would I think say Jordan that. Morris. I think it's, it's I think it's gonna be Ariola. No, no. One's, You're right. It's gonna be Ariola. No, no one has played under Greg more than. It's not gonna be Joe Mo. It'll be Ariola. And. I just said Joe Mocha because they need players we've just named. I think Paul Ariola is the worst. I I I I think Roldan and Morris are both better than Ariola. Yeah, I think Ariola goes. Yeah, but Ariola had a couple big matches in the you know, and he's having a great season for Dallas. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to be super negative about the guy. But I've never been. How about U.S. Men's National Team Twitter? Oh, our boys from FC Dallas combining for our best look of the night. I'm like, bro, why are we flexing? I I think they did that just to get the hate. That was that seems so intentional. Like at some point, I'm like, guys, you don't help yourself. You really don't. Uh, yeah. And then they tweeted out like the save of Matt Turner after McKenzie just walked the ball into <laughs> uh, the Saudi Arabian striker's feet, and I'm like, why? Why are you? And also, this? Turner's like outside of his six yard box. Like any good striker is just gonna dig As, him. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. That Harry Kane probably scores. If yeah, we right. if we think about that 26 real quick, how many of those spots are legitimately upper grabs? Okay, third keeper, maybe. I mean, I'm sure. Greg one one outside back. One outside back. And that's not, that's up for grabs if they want to take it. The, the final striker spot. Of the center backs, maybe two two spots are up. 
I wouldn't say two. I'd say one Probably. at the most. Well, I'm saying I'm saying the fourth spot, and if there's a fifth, yeah. So two spots yeah. maybe. And then and then Ariola's spot. I think the midfield's totally locked in. So that's that's what five at the absolute maximum. They're up for grabs right now. Which which is which is a good thing that we have yeah. a cohesive group that we know we're going with. Doesn't mean they're good, but, but it yeah it's sorry we we do this in America and we and we talk about it in reference to other countries and I think it's a good thing that other countries totally totally underrate our players. That's true, but. We overrate them way more than they underrate us. So we've gotten the reality check now, and it's going to be about can we correct it and can we apply it when it matters. And Lord, do I hope we do. Well, boys, what a treat on this Friday. Parents weekend here at Fordham, boys. (laughs) Have a good weekend. Michael, thank you for showing up when you did. Sorry for starting ahead of you, boss. You said He said in our text thread, folks, can we start – Earlier than 2.30, we couldn't because of classes. We show up here at 2.25. Michael's nowhere to be seen. We just produced the first half of the show by ourselves. We got locked outside. Yeah, Embarrassing. I feel bad for, for Michael on that. Big That's thanks not his to fault. James Burley and Nick Guzman. Beef on previous episodes, officially squashed because the only beef we have is with Greg Burrowhalter. For those boys and Michael behind the glass, I'm Keenan Troy saying have a good weekend. About a month till the World Cup, our butt cheeks are clenched already. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports.